Hi, my name's Josh. I'm an alcoholic, uh, also an atheist. Great to see y'all. Um, have to pardon me. I just uh, actually started on a new medication, so my uh, brain is moving at a slightly different speed than usual. Um, this is a good thing, as I got diagnosed with, um, managed to get a ADHD diagnosis uh, during lockdown when it became a lot more pronounced. I mention it in part because of, you know, like the the medication and whatnot, but also because, like, after actually, you know, at age 41, uh, getting an ADHD diagnosis is basically something I've had my entire life. It brings uh, a lot of things kind of into focus. Um, let me see. Um, sharing my experience, strength, and hope. Uh, to start out with, I guess I'll tell you a little bit of my backstory. Um, so I wasn't a love at first drink alcoholic. Uh, it took me, it took me a pretty long time to uh, fall into drinking. Um, generally, like when I was in high school, it, growing up, I had like an aversion to kind of alcohol in general. Um, it was something that my parents drank too much at parties um, or like in high school, the kids who got drunk, it was seemed kind of like silly to like me and my friends, whereas we were the smart ones, you know, hanging out in the corner, smoking pot. Um, <laughs> so it was like kind of a late life thing. I went to college in the uh, 2000s. I turned 21 in Chicago and uh, in Chicago on your on your ID, they put a red bar on it if your birth date isn't far enough along for you to buy alcohol. So actually, when I was living out there, I made a point around my birthday of going and uh, getting my ID replaced, which you could do at like a place in the mall. They literally like printed them out, which was weird because in Los Angeles, it takes like three months to get one sent to you. Um, but I just got like a new ID without the red bar on it. I went to as many liquor stores as possible to see if I got carded. And apparently if you have like a massive beard in the winter, nobody bothers to card you probably most times of the year actually. Um, but the point of that is that I bought a whole bunch of alcohol for my, you know, 21st birthday party. And that stuff more or less stayed in my apartment until I left Chicago in like 2002, 2003, something like that. Gifted a bunch of like hard liquor to my upstairs neighbors. Um, it wasn't until I came back home from college, back to Los Angeles, um, that you know i started uh, that i got kind of introduced to drinking that was actually through not really introduced to drinking i wasn't unfamiliar with the concept and i'd like you know done it intermittently um but uh it was the first time i, I worked on a music video set and uh, as one is wont to do try to follow the uh cutest person on the set off of there and like get connected up with their circle of friends and uh they connected me up with this group of friends and they're like hey we're having this party out at the pasadena house you should come hang out and it was just an utter freak show in the best possible way there were like there was a girl there ate like glass uh, ate like light bulbs did like geek acts like that there people in costumes it was just like my kind of weirdos and it was the first time that i had been in an environment where um 
it, it where it, I think after that it was just it literally like, huh, drinking can be fun. And I started uh, hanging out with a guy from that group that uh, that I kind of refer to uh, as uh, my drinking mentor. Uh, still a hardcore drunk, as best I can tell. But, you know, it's a person that taught me that, you know, I could show up to somebody's house with like, you know, a 24 pack and just sit around and shit around and, uh, and have some beers and whatnot. Um, and basically from there, I started doing set work and what like really kicked it for me was I was uh, I was working out of a mold shop and there were like 10 hour days. It was one of those jobs that like you think you're getting paid well at, but you realize it's only because there's like two hours of OT every day. And you're doing like 10 hour days, five days a week. And that was, it was like my first like real stable job after coming back from college. And, you know, I decided that I could wear like big boy pants and, you know, I work hard and I, I, I deserve the sorts of uh, nice things that I, I want to get for myself. So, you know, it started being, it, it just started with a beer a night, but that was, that was like a solid brickwork there. It was just every night it was a beer a night and that was from go, that was from go. Um, and you know, then it becomes two beers and then instead of picking up like a six pack every six days, start picking up the 12 packs and the 24s and that, slow escalation lasted uh i haven't done the hard numbers on it yet but it's probably about like a, a, a decades long decline um and i won't go into all like uh, the bumps in the road there but you know of course going from uh, beer to hard alcohol switching from whiskey to vodka because it turned out that people could smell whiskey on me when i was hiking um because i like sweated out on the trail which i also determined was the best hangover cure was to go outside and hike excessively and sweat through all of it um hiking and drinking was a big part of my story not doing both at the same time but hiking and then drinking afterwards um and i had a drinking buddy for that um but yeah that kind of it just kept going on and on and on. And I had various jobs, which became, you know, increasingly more depressing, leaned into drinking a lot more and more until about like 2013. And that's kind of like where it hit a tipping point. I just quit a job at a uh, shitty funeral home that I was working at, specifically a shitty one. Um, and kind of went into a fugue state where I was just like, well, I'm not doing anything else with the with what little savings I have. So I moved out of my apartment, moved back into my parents' place, and then took my money and uh, went up to Portland, Oregon. Drove up there, gave my money to strippers and bars, hung out with my buddy in Oakland, came back, met a girl, and proceeded to enter a cycle of kind of, I don't know, there's this horrible trigger that uh, that switches in my head when uh, when I'm in a relationship, I guess, where, I don't know, maybe like all the toxic masculine crap that kind of seeped into my head and got into my head otherwise when I was uh, younger kind of meant like, hey, you've got a girlfriend, that's uh, the sort of thing, and you can just kind of settle down. And, hey, you know, honestly, I'd given up. I'd kind of given up, I, you know. I had a, a girl that liked me and I liked drinking and I didn't like anything else, you know, and all the social events in my life kind of circulated around drinking. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't down to like really do anything unless they served alcohol there or I could get alcohol in some way. 
Um, and that escalated and escalated and escalated until basically, you know, I didn't have a girlfriend anymore and I was just living off of unemployment checks and drinking in the basement and escalated to one day when I was actually like trying to get clear of this, you know, this long-standing gut problem that I'd had where basically um, I'd get kind of sick sometimes. My stomach got too empty and I couldn't like top it off quite right. I've always had trouble eating enough. Um, and I'd had like uh, ulcerative colitis before as a result of it, probably in combination with all the vodka. Um, but that uh, escalated to the point where one day I was kind of sitting in the living room trying to get like my stomach stabilized again. And I had a, a little, little thing of like trail mix that I'd gotten from work and I was just eating the blandest stuff possible, like pretzels and like little checks and whatnot and trying to like keep my stomach stable and it was like a, a a sweet and salty mix and i grabbed one of the sweet pieces of trail mix and put it in my mouth and immediately vomited for like the 30th time in a row at this point i had been i hadn't been able to sleep for a week and hadn't been able to keep anything down for a week um, and i checked myself into the hospital um I actually, I actually uh, looked up on my phone where the nearest place with an urgent care was and got one of my neighbors to drive me because, you know, masking around and my family is, you know, a big part of my story and my history there too, you know. Um, but yeah, I got a neighbor to uh, drive me to the urgent care where I hung out for a while and the doctor told me that I had pancreatitis, which was rather uh, either the effect of being a very severe diabetic or uh, really, really terrible, <laughs> really yeah, hardcore alcoholic. And when he said that, I was like, the second one. And that was like a click in my head. Like there were a lot of moments um, during my drinking history where, you know, I would be drunk and being like, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Like I'm totally, yeah, I'm totally a drunk at this point. Like I'm getting the shakes. I do this, uh, I do this shit like day in, day out, you know, like living off gin swigs in the morning. Um, and, you know, uh, when you're drunk, when I was drunk and thinking about that sort of thing, the concept depressed me. And that was a great, a great idea to drink over it more, you know, to kind of like drown that out. Uh, so basically I spent, uh, it, it, yeah, I, I talked to the doctor um, and he uh, told me I had pancreatitis. And it, like I said, it was like it was like a click. There is something in my head where hey, he, he asked me, do you consider yourself to be an alcoholic? And I believe my actual response was like, like pragmatically, I, I can't disagree with that diagnosis. You know, I was like, I'm sitting here in a bed. I've apparently have to hospitalize myself for drinking. I guess I'm an alcoholic. Um, and I am grateful for that. Um, just not for being an alcoholic, but, you know, I guess a grateful alcoholic, uh, but that, you know, I had that kind of like it, that very kind of like clear turning over point. Um, I spent 10 days in the hospital, which was entirely passable because they had Turner Classic Movies on the television there um, and uh, there's great lineups uh, day and night. Um, yeah, that's where to put the pregnant pause, right, Josh? Um, Turner Classic Movies. Uh, and uh, I got out of the hospital and I didn't 
stay I stayed sober for you know the number fluctuates a lot in my head I feel like it was a month might have been three months um and I I managed to yeah I managed to sit to white knuckle my way through it for a while um and then at one point I went my friend invited me out to a show uh who didn't know what I was in the hospital for <clears throat> and so during one of the intermissions I'm like oh I'll just I've been doing good. I'll just go out to the lobby and get myself a vodka tonic. Could have done so good. I feel like I got this thing under control now. And of course, I go out and I get another one, paying way too much for it because it's at a venue. She drives me back home afterwards, and then I hop back in my car, go down to the liquor store, buy another bottle of vodka. Um, this went back and forth a few times though the timing is very difficult to track uh i ended up in the hospital in november of 2015 and my sobriety date is uh april of 2016 um so about that much bouncing back and forth and basically kind of the same thing. I got this under control. Oh, I don't have this under control. And I would disappear, like just uh, just time would disappear. I'd be like, oh, I'll, I'm only going to go under for like a week or something like this. But I'd be gone for a month or two or something. Um, and that kind of escalated. Um, and uh, I remember I had uh, I had lunch with my ex at one point uh who had uh, stopped drinking out of solidarity uh because she had been there for not the worst worst of it but bad enough bad enough to leave me um and uh we were having lunch together and she was very um very apologetically explaining to me uh how she had like gone to a club and she had a drink and she felt bad and you know it wasn't something she was gonna like do again and at that point i was like oh no that's fine i relapsed too and she just gave me that death stare and i was like it's fine you can leave if you're disgusted with me or whatnot and she goes you know what i don't care you do with your life what you can but yeah, i mean uh, <laughs> i believe it was uh she said uh, i'm not going to your fucking funeral if you die like this you need to get some help. And uh, that was a point at which I, uh, when I got home, I went online and I looked up, I Googled uh, atheist AA and agnostic AA came up and I went, good enough. Oh, good. Uh, stupid kitchen robot. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> chooses the uh, weirdest damn times um yeah but uh yeah i looked up uh atheist aa found agnostics and i went to a, a friday night in person meeting in hollywood under in the hidden in the parking garage underneath uh, kaiser sunset um and the uh, we agnostics group, uh, uh, basically, as I said before, I'm atheist. I was pretty much raised that way, if you can be raised atheist. 
Um, I had a brief, you know, a period during my childhood where I kind of entertained the, uh, the concept of a sky beard, but only in like a really abstract way. Um, and I had known for a long time the uh, religious uh, overtones of like 12-step AA um, and basically had like a, a built-in aversion to that. And uh, when I found the We Agnostics group, I think they asked, they definitely asked me to talk the first time that I was there. Um, and it was just, it was, it was really nice. I don't remember super much from that time. Um, I don't remember super much from like the early meetings. You know, I just have like a lot of holes in my memory that way. And I was pretty shredded up. Um, but I got people that can tell me what I looked like when I came in. Um, but what it was, the vibe about the meeting that worked for me was it was just folks kind of sitting around talking about, you know, a shared problem. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of big book bang and you know some people are just like hey i like these steps and i do the thing and whatnot but it was never it, it was never like the central thrust of it it was never a book study meeting it was always just kind of people with a mutual problem getting together in a room and talking about their shit. and i don't know what happened or what clicked my first night in that room but i left and i didn't want to drink as much um, and I'm kind of a, uh, I'm kind of a tortoise in a lot of ways. I move very slowly. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I didn't become like, you know, super hardcore into the program or anything or check out a lot of meetings. This is again in the before times when it was like dominantly in-person stuff. And I was lucky to be, you know, close to two of the three agnostics meetings in Los Angeles. It was something like that at the time. Um, I could be wrong on that number, but it was like two of them were in Hollywood and one of them was like in Culver City, you know, and that's like what I knew about back then. Um, but I just consistently went to the Friday night and that was my program, you know, it was just going and I would, I took notes. Um, I started just writing everything down whenever somebody said something that like stuck out to me or something that I related to, I wrote it down. I don't know if I ever like even really went back over those journals, sometimes writing it down. It's like the part of the process that I need. Um, but that was, that was me. Um, and I did that for a while and expanded meetings after a while, started going to like, you know, Tuesday night and whatnot. And meantime, in the background, I'm, uh, um, uh, I started uh, working on this uh, sort of positivity exercise that I found um, uh, like through a friend and that was like really bolstering me up and super early on in my recovery I was able to uh, get a job at a theme park um, doing something that I didn't think I'd, yeah, I would do before I ended up getting a job over at, uh, at a theme park playing cartoon characters you know People run around in the mascot suits and whatnot and sweat a lot and pretend that they're cartoon characters. Um, 
yeah and it was it it was like a different world for me um it was like this it it was kind of this spiritual transition like i mean i've been working at the theme park before working like dominantly halloween stuff and i've been doing that while i was like drinking not drinking at work but getting off work at night and and, and you know getting drunk and showing up to work the next morning and i was doing you know halloween stuff i was scaring people and that put me in a great position to like spiritually hate guests to be angry uh that was kind of like my scary motivation was like you know i was fueled by rage and anger and whatever pent-up crap i had inside um and when i moved over to the park and started working cartoon characters that transitioned uh at my height i play dominantly female characters um and the first one i got assigned was uh march simpson and i fell in love with that and sometimes i cite her as as my higher power um which is that's my path to recovery get a cartoon character job dress up as america's most beloved mother and you know bask in the love and adulation of strangers um <laughs> it works pretty well if you can manage it but don't compete with me on my roster um but yeah, it was it, it was a fascinating experience because like as a performer, I kind of like put myself into that mindset of, you know, the world's most tolerant mom, uh, most like, you know, enduring woman in animation history, you know, um, I mean, just like it, just resilience and strength and uh, love and acceptance. And that became it, that part felt more me than the parts of me that I was coming from, if that makes sense. Um, but that was just like you know, one of the benefits of uh, sobriety was just it, it, being able to approach that in a new way, in a new light. Um, yeah. So that's pretty much my uh, it, relative amount of my story so far so far as the uh and yeah it, just from there i've been you know going to more and more groups during lockdown that definitely expanded to like you know kind of like break international borders and this is just great to me like zoom era stuff as much as uh, like some of us may have uh, issues with it it's it uh, I've always thought that, you know, from that first meeting forward, it, it, there always seemed to be this sort of uh, lightning in the bottle sort of approach to AA, where there's this like adherence to ritual and the way that it's laid out in the book as it's laid out in the book, because nobody knows where like the magic secret of it is, you know, is it the steps, is it the submitting yourself before yada yada, is it finding a higher power, is it this, that, or the other thing? And again, I just go back to like what I first saw in that room. One of the reasons that I like these Tusnua rooms so much is because it's very much that vibe is just people showing up and talking about their experiences, you know? It's, there's only like this very limited window that we can see the world through uh, and it's our own. And like, you know, one of the things that I found with like, you know, my ADHD diagnosis is nobody else knows really like the circus that's going on in my head, you know? Um, but being able to 
you know, talk openly uh, around other people about our experience with problems, especially things that have like a lot of stigma associated with them uh, that we tend to diminish. Um, I feel like it, I feel like that shared experience is lightning in the bottle and via your experience, via each other's experience, I can, I can make progress that I wouldn't, I can, I can see angles that I wouldn't have otherwise. I can get experiences or I can, you know, I can, I can flesh out my understanding of like what I'm going through. Um, so that's always, that's, that's always kind of the thing that I've, uh, that I've really enjoyed in rooms. Um, I do have a uh, I have a book on my shelf here. I, it's it's been so long. I've been working the night shift for a minute, so I'm kind of uh, <laughs> spaced out on all of my projects. But um, oh, what is it? The book on uh, the Twelve Steps Without God. Been meaning to come around to that and. Uh, kind of start going through the program uh that way and kind of like doing some more of like the fine nitty-gritty work but for me uh be it aberrant or whatnot i've always kind of found uh, that it, my number one tool is just uh, you know kind of showing up in rooms and listening and trying to be present and you know kind of uh, kind of trying to stay in touch with it you know um there's there were times early on where you know it was all drunk logs and all, you know, it, it, all uh, a lot of shadow work, a lot of embracing the abyss, a lot about talking about the worst possible things we possibly did, and I and I shy away from it like a little bit more now. Um, not that I'm avoidant to engage it, but you know, it's only so much time I need to spend staring into that. And there's time that I like to hear about other people's stuff and their experience, strength and hope and what they're going through and how they're doing. And it looks like I've hit about the 25 minute mark, which impressed even me. So uh, yeah, I will hand it over at this point and I will take some valuable time to listen to what y'all say because man, being a secretary makes it hard to do that. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs>